The judgment that we're going to study this morning, the judgment of the just, is not a judgment to determine where you will spend eternity. It is a judgment simply to determine how you will spend eternity. It's the judgment only of saved people, not to be confused with the great white throne judgment that is only comprised of lost people. This is not a judgment of punishment. This is a judgment of reward. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Pastor Carl is currently preaching in his series titled, God's Prophetic Schedule. Today, Pastor Carl reminds us that all Christians should be anticipating the judgment of the just, because what we think about it will determine how we will live now. And how we live now will determine how God will reward us when we reach heaven. Today's sermon is entitled, The Judgment of the Just. We will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he begins. Take God's holy and infallible word, would you, and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're joining us for the first time, before we begin our next verse-by-verse exposition, through a book of the Bible, God has led me to do a series that I've entitled God's Prophetic Schedule. And as you can see from the slide or the bulletin that is in front of you, today's topic is the judgment of the just, subtitled, A Saved Soul But a Lost Life. You know, it's possible to be saved and headed to heaven. It's possible to come to church week after week, to read your Bible each and every day. It's possible, as a self-described businessman once said, to spend your whole life climbing the ladder of success, only to discover that when you reach the top of the ladder, it was leaning against the wrong wall. There is coming a day when many of God's people will realize that their ladder is leaning against the wrong wall that they have invested only in the here and now and not things that really matter of eternal worth. Now, this diagram might help some of us to visualize where we are in this series. Right now, the Bible teaches this is the church age. The church did not exist in the Old Testament. Jesus spoke, I will build my church. And the Bible pinpoints it as starting on the day of Pentecost. But one of these days, maybe sooner than we think, the church will be completed, and God will come and catch up the church. That catching up is called the rapture. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Paul says we shall be caught up. Harpazo in the Latin Bible, it's the word that gives us our English word rapture. Then a seven-year period starts. It will be followed as the second arrow shows with the second coming. During that time frame, it's a dark time, But it's during that time frame when we're taken to heaven that we will experience the judgment of the saved. At the end of the seven-year period of time, Christ in fulfillment of prophecy, and we will study this, he will now come to the earth. First he comes, we meet the Lord in the air. But as Zechariah 14 teaches at the second coming, he comes to the earth. His feet are planted on the Mount of Olives. And all of the promises concerning a coming kingdom that we pray in what we call the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, will be fulfilled. And at the end of that thousand years, 
we will see the final judgment of all time. There's actually four judgments that are spoken of in Scripture that we're going to study during this series. But the second resurrection, which is the resurrection of the lost, the lost of all time, will be brought before the living God at the great white throne judgment. And then eternity future will start where God will make a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem where your loved ones who know Jesus are this moment. That city will literally physically come down and sit on a brand new planet in a brand new universe. Now with that said, the judgment that we're going to study this morning, the judgment of the just, is not a judgment to determine where you will spend eternity. It is a judgment simply to determine how you will spend eternity. It's the judgment only of saved people, not to be confused with the great white throne judgment that is only comprised of lost people. This is not a judgment of punishment. This is a judgment of rewards. And so Christians need to be participating, uh, or I should say anticipating, in the judgment of the just. Why? Because what you think about it will determine how you live now. And how you live now will determine how God will reward you when you reach heaven's shores. And so while this topic may be new to hundreds of you this morning, and I know it is between the two services and our two campuses, for some of us, you've heard of it for many, many years. But as I did myself this week, this is an opportunity to do some personal evaluation and reflection to see how well I am preparing for the judgment of the just. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in fact, hold your finger here, just turn over to the next book, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for just a moment. We're going to flip back and forth between those two portions of Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 10, where again this judgment is described, and I want to use this verse as an introduction to what we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians 3. There the apostles said, for we must all, please note, circle that little word, all. Say to yourself, God is talking about me this morning. That is, if you are a believer, then with the apostle Paul, we, meaning Paul and all the believers to whom he is writing, we will stand at this judgment. Again, different from the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20, 11 to 15. At that judgment, the only people who are present at the lost. At this judgment, the only people who are present are the saved. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So again, this is not the final judgment of the unsaved. This is what will happen to all of God's people. In fact, in a parallel text in Romans 14 and verse 12, the apostle Paul told the church at Rome, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Now with that said, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Follow along in your Bibles. Paul says to the Corinthians, according to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But let each man be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, those three beautiful, very costly things are one thing versus the next category, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, 
for the day will show it because it is to be revealed, or some of your Bibles say it is to be tested with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. That is, whether it's of the quality of wood, hay, or stubble, or whether it is the quality of gold, silver, and precious stones. Verse 14, if any man's work, which he has built on it, remains, that is on the foundation, if it remains, he will receive a reward. But if any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. These are some of the most sobering thoughts I think a believer can read in all of Holy Scripture. Each one of us, without exception, is going to meet the Lord in heaven eye to eye and give an evaluation of our Christian life. Now, some people think, well, I'm saved. I'm born again. I am promised a space in heaven. It really doesn't matter how I lived. I'll not have to give an account for the way I've prayed. I'll not have to give an account for the way I've witnessed. I'll not have to give an account for the way I've given to the Lord's work. I'll not have to give an account for the way I've served or sacrificed for the kingdom. It will make no difference because God is an equal opportunity employer. Oh, it will make a difference. And Paul wants us to understand precisely how. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will see today that this judgment seat will have eternal implications for the believer in heaven. Now, unfortunately, as a whole, largely in evangelicalism today, this judgment is either seriously neglected or it's willfully diluted to what it actually says. So let's put some balance here. On the one hand, the Bible promises there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. So when we speak of the judgment seat of Christ, we're not talking about some evangelical purgatory where you suffer and somehow are punished. In fact, there's no such thing as purgatory. That's a man-made doctrine. It's not found anywhere in Scripture, but it is certainly a logical doctrine if you deny justification by grace alone through faith alone, as those who made up the doctrine do, as they taught in the Council of Trent, as they reaffirmed at Vatican I, Vatican II, and in 2010 at the College of Cardinals, a denial of the gospel itself, then purgatory is logical. If you don't do enough works in this life, then you will suffer for a period of time before you are plunged into heaven. But there's no condemnation. In fact, Paul will remind us at the end of Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He'll say in Romans 8 that no one, absolutely no one, can bring a charge against God's elect. Now, I love Romans 8.1. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole chapter. There is therefore now... Not later, not possibly, but now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. On the other hand, the Bible teaches there's a judgment that we will face, not a judgment of condemnation, but of reward. In fact, for those of us who have been saved, the Bible teaches that in the past, we have been judged as sinners. In the present, we are being judged as sons, but in the future, we'll be judged as servants. For the Christian, there's a past, present, and future judgment. In the past, well, that judgment is over if I've received Jesus as Lord. No condemnation. It's called justification. I've been declared righteous. Jesus in my place, on the cross, at Golgotha, 
bore the punishment for all of my sin, past, present, and future. Which is why Jesus can say in John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, not will have, but has today, this moment. I hope you have eternal life. It's not something out there in the future. It's something you secure in this life. And if you have it, it's eternal. You can't lose it. And the person who has eternal life does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. That's why Paul can say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If I had to be held for one half, if I had to be held accountable for one half of one sin I've ever committed, I would fry forever under the wrath of Almighty God. He is infinitely holy. He is infinitely perfect. And that's why he sent his infinitely perfect son to die on the cross in our place so that we could be forgiven. So to bring the Christian into judgment for some sin they committed before they were saved or after they were saved or some sin that was left unconfessed is to basically deny the sufficiency and the efficacy of the cross where Jesus can say to tell us die paid in full. I won't have to face the great white throne in judgment. Only unbelievers will. So there is another judgment. While I've been judged in the past as a sinner, I am being judged in the present as a son. Listen to these words. It's a quotation from Proverbs chapter 3. The writer of the Hebrews says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Day by day, God chastises those who are his. He does it sometimes in a corrective way. Other times he does it in an instructive way. I don't know if you've ever been to God's university. Sometimes it's not always pleasant. It's not pleasant to go to God's woodshed. Sometimes he has to correct us. And by the way, Paul reminded the Corinthians that if we would judge ourselves rightly, the Lord wouldn't have to judge us. Listen to these words. He said, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And so when we say, Father, I was wrong, I truly turn from this sin. You don't need to spank me to convince me that what I'm doing is displeasing. Then when we judge it that way, God doesn't have to correct it. But sometimes, again, the discipline of the Lord is just in an instructive way. You're not doing anything wrong. You're just walking with God. But he's bringing new avenues into your life that he wants to make more like the Lord Jesus. So in the past, sin has been judged, and so the scripture can say, there is sin in their lawless deeds I remember no more. Doesn't mean that God has a, a case of divine amnesia. He just doesn't hold it against you. In the present, he's dealing with us as his children. To those who've received Christ, those alone has he given the authority, the right, the power to be deemed children of God. But in the future, he will judge me as a servant. And this is the judgment that we are looking at today. Not the great ju right throne judgment, but what's called the bematos, the bema judgment, the judgment of the just. And so it's very possible to have a saved soul, but a lost life. And I hope we'll be able to see that. And this is important truth, not just for us personally, but for all those that God would give us to disciple. And if you have children or grandchildren who know Jesus, especially them. Now again, back to the chart here. The next great event is the catching up, the rapture of the church. 
And what the rapture of the church brings is a period of time known as the day of the Lord. Sometimes the word day is used, yom in Hebrew, of one day, and it's always used that way when accompanied by a number. So Moses said in six days, God created the heavens and the earth. He goes back and looks at Genesis. He doesn't say in six long days or six days with gaps in between, but in six days, God made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. But sometimes the term day, yom, is used to refer to a period of time, like the day of your youth. Here, the day of the Lord, and it mimics a biblical day. A biblical day goes from sundown to sundown. And so I believe we're in the shadows of the tribulation. It hasn't come yet, but God is setting the stage for the tribulation to come. You don't want to miss next week's message, because we'll see precisely what Jesus said in reference to that. So it will get darker and darker and pitch black during the time of the great tribulation, the worst time in all of human history. But then Jesus comes back. He removes all the unbelievers. Only believers will enter into the kingdom. And there'll be a bright and glorious, magnificent day that will last for a thousand years. But the children of tribulation saints, which we'll see demands a pre-tribulational rapture because believers in glorified bodies can't have children. Some of their children and grandchildren over the course of a thousand years, which they will live, will rebel against God's Messiah. So at the end of the millennium, the devil will be loose and it will get dark again, and then we'll go into eternity future. So that's kind of where we are. You following me? All right. So if you're new to this series, I think this is the ninth or 10th message in the series. They're all online at searchthescriptures.org. It might be helpful to you this morning. So what we're looking at is an unprecedented time. And we know it's in the future, and we know it's after the church is caught up for at least five reasons. Let me give them to you. Number one is you read the gospels like Luke 14, 12 to 14, Jesus reminds us that the rewards that he is going to give are associated with the resurrection of the righteous. When does the resurrection of the righteous happen for believers? At the rapture, when we are caught up. Secondly, Revelation 19 and verse 8, when the Lord returns, it's obvious from that chapter that the bride of Christ has already been rewarded. They're dressed in fine linen. Sometimes fine linen is used in the Revelation to describe the righteousness that God has credited to your account. But sometimes, as in Revelation 19.8, it's defined as the righteous acts of the saints. That means they've already been evaluated and rewarded as you let Scripture interpret Scripture. Three, second Timothy 4.8 points to the judgment as in the future. Jesus uh, wrote through the Apostle Paul, the end of his life, Paul said, when the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. Fourth, 1 Corinthians 4 in verse 5, we are admonished that we are not to try to judge the motives of other preachers and Christians. Now we can judge what they say, we can judge their doctrine, we're commanded to do that, but we can't judge their motives because only God can read the heart. And so Paul says, wait until Jesus comes back at the rapture who will bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart. Fifth, we know that this must take place in this time frame because when Christ comes to rule at the second coming for a thousand years, he is going to give authority and responsibility 
to believers who have already been evaluated. Now, with that said, there are many truths that we're going to look at, but there are three principal truths I want us to focus on concerning the judgment of the just. If you're taking notes, there's a note-taking outline. You can print it out online. First, let's consider the judgment seat of Christ as a place of revelation. The Bible is clear. The judgment seat of Christ is a place of revelation. Again, flip back to 2 Corinthians for a moment. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. Paul says, therefore, also we have as our ambition, whether at home in this body or absent in heaven, to be pleasing to him. Now, most of you know that there's what the Bible calls as selfish ambition, that's self-centered, that's worldly. And then there's a holy ambition that Paul is describing. And Paul's great ambition was to be pleasing to Jesus. He was in terms of his justification, but he wants to be pleasing to Jesus in terms of his sanctification. And many of the preachers in Paul's day, like in our day, served to please men, man-pleasers. And when you're a man pleaser, when you're concerned about how people are going to evaluate you, what they're going to think about you as a pastor, then you're going to compromise the truth in order to please men. But Paul then goes on in the next verse, and he tells us why his drive, his ambition is to be pleasing to the Lord. For, it's a causal in Greek, because you could render it, because... We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, you may be asking, Pastor, how do we know for certain that this judgment that Paul is referring to concerns only believers? Well, I've already noted the first person pronoun. If you think Paul was saved, then it's only believers. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Secondly, since Paul in the context is describing that events that can only happen to a believer, he has just spoken it as being at home with the Lord. Look at verses seven and eight. For we walk by faith not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The moment you die, you're absent from this physical body, you're present with the Lord. Your soul doesn't sleep in the grave, as our dear Seventh-day Adventist friends falsely teach. Third, the context also indicates that this can only refer to believers because the chapter opened in verse 1, if you're looking at your text. Some of you need to bring a Bible. Some of you are here for the first time and you don't own a Bible. Come to our next Meet the Pastor and you'll get a beautiful Bible. The chapter opens speaking of a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Again, that's the context, believers in heaven. He likens this body that you and I are in this morning to a tent. You know, tents are temporary. They get holes in them, they leak, they get old. But a house, well, that's more of a permanent structure, and that's the analogy he uses of our resurrection body. Fourth, he reminds us in verse five that the spirit is given as a pledge, as an earnest, as a down payment to those who are saved. Again, he's speaking to believers only. And fifth, it's a little more of a technical argument from the Greek, but we can follow it. God says he's going to evaluate our works, be they good or bad. Now, the word bad here is not the typical word for bad, porneros or kakos. It speaks of moral evil like pornography, porneros. We get our word from it. 
He uses a different word. He uses the word polos, and it is bad in terms of something that is worthless. And so Paul is going to show us this morning the judgment of the just. Your works will either be enduring or they will be worthless, acceptable or worthless. Now, as I've told you before, many times the Greek word for judgment seat is the word bematos. So the word judgment seat is translating one word bematos. So sometimes we put the article in front of it and we speak of the bema. Now, here's a picture of a bema. This is an artist's rendition to Jesus standing before the Bema of Pilate. Pilate, we're told, is at the Bema toss. He's at the judgment seat. And there, of course, the Bema is to mete out punishment. Uh, The Apostle Paul, some of you went with me in a tour we did many years ago called the Footsteps of Paul, and we went to Corinth. And we saw almost an identical Bema from the first century, the very one that Paul stood before. When he was there in Acts 18, again, it's a place of evaluation. It's also used, the Bema, as a place of rewards. For instance, judges would stand on the Bema toss during the Isthmian Games, and you might have two athletes that would compete, and they would be given rewards accordingly. And so one would receive a, um, a reward of the perishable green coveted wreath, And the one who lost the race, well, his head wasn't cut off. He just didn't receive a reward. And so this is not a tribunal to see whether you are saved or lost. One second after you die, it's already been determined. By the choice of what you did with Jesus. Listen, he's not just another miracle worker. He's not just another prophet. He claims to be God in human flesh. And he said, there's no way to the Father but through him. And so what you do with Jesus will determine what God does with you. But it's possible at the Bema toss to have invested your life as a believer in a way that was wasteful. And so it's going to be judged. It's going to be evaluated. Your service, your stewardship, the works done in the body are going to be evaluated as good or bad. Now, I recognize if you read the context of 1 Corinthians 3 carefully, He's dealing primarily with pastors. He's talking about different pastors who come into different cities, who uh, lay a foundation through the preaching of the gospel, and then what kind of material they are using to build God's church. And sadly, there's a lot of pastors who use the wrong kind of materials. And Paul's admonition is, unless you're using the Bible, the Word of God, as central to the building material, it's worthless. Please join us tomorrow for part two of The Judgment of the Just. If you enjoyed today's message, remember that you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 009. There is no friendship that is more important than friendship with God. It is a relationship with eternal consequences and the greatest act of care or concern you can ever show someone is to introduce them to Jesus. If you have never shared Christ with anyone, or if it's been a while since you have done so, we would like to help. Dr. Brogy has written a booklet that highlights five principles that are fundamental to having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Would You Like to Know God as Your Friend begins with a number of diagnostic questions and concludes with a presentation of the gospel message. These booklets will really simplify sharing your faith. And now we will send you 50 of these booklets as our thanks for a gift of any amount to search the scriptures. Call us today at 877-787-7478 and ask for the Would You Like to Know God as Your Friend gift pack. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.